friend. About the author Selma Lagerlöf was a Swedish writer whose stories have been translated into many languages. A universal theme runs through all of them: a belief that the essential goodness in a human being can be awoken through understanding and love. The story is set amidst the mines of Sweden. Rich in iron ore, which figure large in the history and legends of the that country, the story is told somewhat in the manner of a fairy tale. Once upon a time, there was a man who went around selling small red traps of wire. He made them himself at odd moments. From the material he got by begging, in the stores or at the big farms, but even so, the business was not specially profitable. So he had to resort to both begging and petitivery to keep body and soul together. Even so, his clothes were in rags, his cheeks were sunken, and hunger gleamed in his eyes. No one can imagine how Satan monitors life can appear to such a vagabond who plods along the roads, left to his own meditations. But one day, this man had fallen into a line of thought which really seemed to him entertaining. He had naturally been thinking of his rituals when suddenly he was struck by the idea that the whole. All about him, the whole world about its land and seas, its cities and villages were nothing but a big red trap that never existed for any other purpose than to set baits for people. It offered riches and joys, shelter and food, heat and clothing, exactly as the red trap offered cheese and. Work and as soon as anyone let himself to be tempted to touch the bait, it closed in on him, and then everything came to an end. The world had, of course, never been very kind to him, so it gave him unwanted joy to think ill of it in this way. It became Jerry's pastime of his during many dreary plodings to think. Of people he knew, who had laid themselves be caught in the dangerous snare, and of others who were still circling around the bait. One dark evening, as he was trudging along the road, he caught sight of a little grey cottage by the roadside, and knocked on the door to ask shelter for the night. Nor was he refused. Instead of the sour faces which ordinarily made him the owner, who was an old man without wife or child, was happy to get someone to talk to in his loneliness. Immediately he put the porridge pot on the fire and gave him supper. Then he carved up such a big slice from his tobacco roll that it was enough pot for the stranger. 
five and his own. Finally, he got out an old pack of cards and played majoris with his guests until bedtime. The old man was just as generous uh, with his confidence as with his porridge and tobacco. The guest was informed at once that in his days of prosperity, his horse had been a crofter at Ramjo's iron works and had worked on the land. Now that he was no longer able to do day labor, it was his cow which supported him. Yes, that bossy was extraordinary. She could keep milk for the creamery every day and last month he had received all of a 30 kroner in payment. The stranger must have seemed incredulous for the omen, got up and went to the window, took down a leather pouch which hung on a nail in the very window frame and picked out three wrinkled and kroner bills. This he held up before the eyes of his guests, nodding knowingly, and then stuffed them back into the pouch. The next day, porch man got off in good season. The crofter was in hurry to milk his cow, and the other men probably thought he should not stay in bed when the head of the house had gotten up. They left the cottage at the same time. The crofter locked the door and put the key in his pocket. The man was the red trap, said goodbye and thank you, and thereupon each went his own way. But half an hour later, the red trap peddler stood again before the door. He did not try to get in. However, he only went up to the window, smashed a paint, stuck in his hand and got hold of the pouch with the stuck in the, with the 30 kroners. He took the money and thrust it into his own pocket. Then he hung the leather pouch very carefully back in its place and went away. As he walked along with the money in his pocket, he felt quite pleased with his madness. He realized, of course, that at first he dared not continue to the public highway, but must turn off the road into the woods. During the first hours, this caused him no difficulty. Later in the day, it became worse, for it was a big and confusing forest which he had gotten into. He tried to be sure to walk in a definite direction, but the patrice stepped back and forth. So strangely, he walked and walked without coming to the end of the wood, and finally he realized that he had only been walking around in the same part of the forest. All at once he recalled his thought about the wall and the red drive. Now his own turn had come. He had let himself be fooled by a page 
and had been caught the whole forest with its trunks and branches its tickets and fallen dogs closed in a bunch in like an impenetrable prisons from which he could never escape it was late in december darkness was already descending over the forest this increased the danger and increased all his gloom and despair finally he saw no way out and he sank down on the ground tired to death thinking that his last moment had come but just as he laid his head on the ground he heard a sound a hard regular thumping there was no doubt so as to what that was he raised himself those are the hammer strokes from an iron mill he thought there must be people near by he summoned all his strength got off and staggered in the direction of the sound the ramjo's iron work which are now closed down where not so long ago large plant which smelter rolling mill and forge in the summer time long lines of heavily loaded barges and scows slid down the canal which led to a large inland lake and in the winter time the roads near the mill were black from all the coal dust which shifted down from the big charcoals during one of the long dark evenings just before christmas the master smith and his helpers sat in the dark forge near the furnace waiting for the pig iron which had been put in the fire to be ready to put on the anvil every now and then one of them got off to stir the glowing mass with a long iron bar returning in a few moments dripping with perspirations though as was the custom he wore nothing but a long shirt and pair of wooden shoes at the time there were many sounds to be heard in the forge the big bellows ground and the burning coal crack the fire boy shovel charcoal into the mill of the furnace with a great deal of clatters outside roared the what of a sharp note when wife the rain against the bricks tiled to roof it was probably on account of all the noise that the blacksmiths did not notice that a man had opened the gate and entered the forge until he stood close after the furnace surely it was nothing unusual for poor vagabonds without any better shelter for the nights to be attracted to the forge by the glow of light which escaped through the sooty pans and to come in to warm themselves in front of the fires the blacksmiths glanced only casually and indifferently 
at the intruders. He looked the way people of his type usually did long beard, dirty rage, and a bunch of red traps dangling on his chest. He asked permission to stay, and the master blacksmith nodded a hearty consent without honoring him with a single word. The tramps did not say anything either. He had not come there to talk, but only to warm himself and sleep. In those, those days, the Ramjo's iron mill was owned by a very prominent iron master, whose greatest ambition was to save out good iron to the market. He watched both night and day to see the work was done as well as possible. And at this every moment, he came into the forge one of his nightly rounds of inspection. Naturally, the first thing he saw was the tall ragamuffin who had is his weight so close to the furnace that steam rose from his weight racks. The iron master did not follow the example of the blacksmiths who had hardly danced to look at the stranger. He walked close up to him, looked him over very carefully, then tore off his slouch hat to get a better view of his face. But of course, it is you, Nils Olof, he said. How do you look? The man with the red trap had never before seen the other master at Ramjo's and did not even know what his name was. But it occurred to him that if the fine gentleman thought he was an old acquaintance, he might perhaps throw him a couple of kroners. Therefore, he did not want to undeceive him at once. Yes, God knows things have gone downhill with me, he said. You should not have resigned from the regiment, said the iron master. That was the mistake. If only I had still been in the service at the time, it never would have happened. Well, now of course you will come home with me to get along off to the manor house and be received by the owners like an old regimental comrade that, however, did not please the tramp. No, I couldn't think of it, he said, looking quite alarmed. He thought of the 30 kroner to go up to the manor house, which would be like throwing himself voluntarily into the lion's dance. He only wanted a chance to sleep here in the forge and then sneak away as inconfiscally as possible. The iron master assumed that he felt embarrassed because of his miserable clothing. Please don't think that I have such a fine home that you cannot show yourself there, he said. Elijah is dead, as you may already have heard. My boys are abroad, and there is no one at home except my oldest daughters and myself. We were just saying that if it was too bad we did not have any company for Christmas. Now come along with me and help us make the Christmas food disappear a little faster. But the stranger said no and no and again no. No, and the iron master saw that he must give in. 
it looks as though captain bond's teller preferred to stay with you tonight yet trom is said to the master blacksmiths and turn on his heel but he laughed to himself as he went away and the blacksmith who knew him understood very well that he had not said his last word it was not more than half an hour before they heard the sound of carriage wheels outside the forge and a new Gas came in, but this time it was not the Iron Master. He sent his daughter, apparently hoping that she would have the powers of persuasion than he himself. She entered, followed by a ballad, carrying on his arm a big fur coat. She was not at all pretty, but seems modest and quite shy. In the forge, everything was just as it had been earlier in the evening. The master blacksmiths and his apprentice still sit on their bench, and iron, and iron and charcoal still glowed in the furnace. The stranger had stretched himself out of the floor and lay with a pitch of big iron under his head, and his hat pulled down over his eyes. As soon as the young girl caught sight of him, she went off and lifted his head. The man was evidently used to sleeping. With one eye open, he jumped up abruptly and seemed to be quite frightened. My name is Etla Williamson, said the young girl. My father came home and said that you wanted to sleep here in the forge tonight. And then I asked permissions to come and bring you home to us. I'm sorry, Captain, that you are having such a hard time. She looked at him compassionately with her heavy eyes. And then she noticed that the man was afraid. Either he has stolen something or else he has escaped from jail. She thought and added quickly, You may be sure, Captain, that you will be allowed to leave us just as freely as you came. Only please stay with us over Christmas Eve. She said this in such a friendly manner that the retro peddler must have felt confidence in her. It would never have occurred to me that you would bother with me yourself. Miss, he said, I will come at once. He accepted the far coat with the ballet handed him with a deep bow, threw it over his rage, and followed the young lady out to the carriage without granting the astonished blacksmith so much as a glance. But while he was riding off to the manor house, he had evil foreboding. Why? The devil did I take that fellow money. He thought now I'm sitting in the trap and will never get out of it. The next day was Christmas Eve and when the Iron Master came into the dining room for breakfast, he probably thought with satisfaction of his old regimental comrades whom he had run across so unexpectedly. First of all, we must see that it that he gets a little flesh on his bones, he said to his daughter who was busy at table, and then we must see that he gets something else to do than to run than to run around the country selling red traps. It is clear that things have gone downhill with him as badly as did said the daughter. Last night I did not think there was anything about him to show that he had once been an educated man.
You must have patience, my little girl, said the father. As soon as he gets clean and dressed up, you'll see something different. Last night he was naturally embarrassed. The tram manners will fall away from him with the tram clothes. Just as he said, this is the door open and the stranger entered. Ju yes, now he was truly clean and well dressed. The ballot had bought him cut his ears and shave him. Moreover, he was dressed a good-looking suit of clothes which belonged to the Iron Masters. He wore a white shirt and a starch collar and whole shoes. But although his guest was now so well-groomed, the Iron Master did not seem pleased. He looked at him with puckered brow. And it was easy to understand that when he had seen the strange fellow in the uncertain reflection, from the furnace he might have made a mistake, but that now, when he stood there in a broad daylight, it was impossible to mistake him for an old acquaintance. What does this mean? He thundered. The stranger made no attempt to dissimulate. He saw at once that the splendor had come to an end. It is not my fault, sir, he said. I never pretended to be anything but a poor treasure. I pleaded and begged to be allowed to stay in the forge, but no. Harm has been done, Edwards. I can put on my rags again and go away. Well, said Iron Master, hesitating a little. It, it was quite it was not quite honest either. You must admit that, I, and I should not be surprised if the sheriff would like to have some things to say in the matter. The tram took a step forward and struck the table with his fist. Now I'm going to tell you. Mr. Iron Master, how things are, he said. This whole world is nothing but a big red trap. All the good things that are offered to you are nothing but cheese, rings, and bits of pork. Sit out and drag a poor fellow into a troubles, and its sheriff's comes now and locks me off for distant you. Mr. Iron Master must remember that a day may come when your result may want to get a big beach of pork and then you will get caught in the trap. The Iron Master began to laugh. That was not so badly said, my good fellow. Perhaps we should not let the serve alone on Christmas Eve, but now get out of here as fast as you can. But just as the man was opening the door, the daughter said, I think he ought to stay with us today. I don't want him to go. And with that, she went and closed the door. What in the world are you doing? said the father. The daughter stood there quite embarrassed and hardly knew what to answer. The mo that morning, she had, uh, she had felt so happy when she though how home-like and Christmassy she was going to make things for the poor hungry rich. She could not get away from the idea all at once, and that was shy why she had interceded for the vagabond. I'm thinking of this stranger here, said the young girl. He walks and walks the whole year long, and there is probably not a single place in the world can, whole country where he is welcome and can feel at home. Wherever he turns, he is chased away. Always he is afraid of being arrested and crossed the line. I should like to have him enjoy a day of peach with us here, just one in the whole year. The Iron Master mumbled something in his 
disappeared. He could not bring himself to oppose her. It was all a mistake, of course, she continued. But anyway, I don't think we ought to chase away a human being whom we have asked to come here and to whom we have promised Christmas cheer. You do pre preach worse than a person, said our master. I only hope you will not have to regret this. The young girl took the stranger by the hand and led him up to the table. Now sit and eat, she said, for she could see that her father had given in. The man with the red tip said not a word. He only sat down and helped himself to the food. Time after time he looked at the young girl who had interceded for him. So why had she done it? What could be the crazy idea be? After that Christmas Eve a drum just passed. Just as it always had, the stranger did not cause any trouble because he did nothing but sleep. The whole forenoon he lay on the sofa in one of the guest rooms and slept at one stretch. At noon, they woke him up so that he could have, a, uh, have his share of good Christmas fear, but after that he slept again. It seemed as though for many years he had not been able to sleep as quietly and safely as hears a drum just. In the evenings where the Christmas tree was lighted, they woke him up again and he stood for a while in the drawing room, blinking as though the candlelight hurt him. But after that he disappeared again. Two hours later, he was arose once more. He then had to go down into the dining room and eat the Christmas fish and porridge. As soon as they got up from the table, he went around to each one present and said thank you and good night. But when he came to the young girl, she gave him to understand that it was her father's intention that the suit was which she wore was to be Christmas present. He did not have to return it and if he wanted to spend next Christmas Eve in a place where he could rest in peace and be sure that no evil would befall him, he would be welcome back again. The man with the red dress did not answer anything to this, he only stared at the young girl in boundless amazement. The next morning, the iron master and his daughter got up in good season to go to the early Christmas service. Their guest was still asleep and they did not disturb him. When at about 10 o'clock they dropped back from the church, the young girl sat and hung her head even more dejectedly than usual. At church, she had learned that once of the old crofters of the ironworks had been robbed by a man who went around selling red traps. Yes, that was a fine fellow you let into the house, said her father. I only wonder how many silver spoons are left in the cupboard by this time. The wagon had hardly stopped at the front steps when the other master asked the ballot whether the stranger was still there. He added that he had heard at church that the man was a thief. The ballot answered that the fellow had gone and that he had not taken anything with him at all. On the contrary, he had left behind a little package which Miss Williamson's was to be kind enough to accept as a Christmas present. The young girl often the package which was so badly done of 
that the contents came into view at once. She gave a little cry of joy. She found small red drops, and in it lay three wrinkled ten kroner notes. But that was not at all. In the red drops lay also a letter written in large jags, characters, honored and noble miss. Since you have been so nice to me all day long, as if I was a captain, I want to be nice to you in return, as if I was a real captain. For I do not want you to be embraced at this Christmas season by a thief, but you can give back the money to the old man on the roadside who has money pouch hanging on the window frame as a bait for poor wanderers. The red drops is a Christmas present from a red who would have been caught in this world red trap if he had not been raised to captain because in that way he got power to clear himself. Written with friendship and high regard, captains won't tell him. So in this way the chapters ends.